See if you've lived this long on earth to recognize this. Some of y'all know that song? Do you know who it's by? Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions. Uh, actually, it takes me back to, um, uh, to Lake Wiley up near Rock Hill where I grew up. And um, I think I heard that song a number of times before I ever listened to the words of it. And then I think I actually heard the words on Lake Wiley. I was in my friend Mo Bell's boat. Mobel is famous worldwide because he was the first male acceptance to Winthrop University in Rock Hill because his last name was Bell. And so he was the first one in the entering class to be first on the list. And Mo and I were great friends, and he had a boat, and he had something that we had never seen before up until then, and that was an eight-track player in his boat. Remember the old eight-track players? On a boat? Didn't have to listen to a radio. We could actually listen to music we wanted to. We thought we had died and gone to heaven, you know, how 16-year-olds will be. And keep in mind that this is in the middle of the crazy 1960s. Uh, this song actually was written in 1965. I was probably listening to it in 67 and 68. And it's in, in the midst of all that 60s noise and protest mar uh, marches and what I would call radical feminism and the Vietnam War. And uh, this song, it somehow connected to my heart one day on Lake Wiley. And I realized, oh, there's really something to these words. There's something kind of, you know, valuable here. And, and uh, I've loved it ever since. People get ready. It's a good Advent message from uh, Curtis Mayfield. There's a train a-coming. That's that gospel train folks talk about sometimes. Isn't it lovely, the theology here, though? Uh, you don't need no baggage. Maybe that means uh, no works to get on board, I'm thinking. Or maybe it means you can't take all that, cannot take all that stuff with you, and you don't need to. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith. Oh, there's that key, great biblical word, great Christian word. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. Don't need no ticket. Don't have to buy it. Can't buy, buy that eternal life. You just thank the Lord. Not bad for a simple gospel of the 60s. People get ready for the train to Jordan. Jordan has always marked that crossing over to the promised land and the, uh, the ultimate of all promised lands crossing over to Jordan into life eternal. 
It's picking up passengers from coast to coast. There are a lot of folks on that train. Faith is the key. Open the doors and boredom. There's hope for all among those loved the most. And brothers and sisters, you and I are the ones loved the most. As a child of God, you are one of the ones loved the most. As one of God's created creatures here on earth, you are one of the ones loved the most. It's Advent. Advent 1, it's about getting ready, and Jesus has some urgent words for you and for me this morning, as does St. Paul as well. Jesus also unpacks it a bit for us. When is this day? About that day or hour? Jesus said, no one knows, we heard in the gospel. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son. Only the Father knows. But it will be as in the days of Noah when people were eating and drinking and marrying, getting married. In other words, in kind of ordinary time, an unexpected time, when all of a sudden he will return. And so the gospel concludes this morning from the lips of Jesus, so, but, I'm sorry, so you also must be ready because there's no telling when he will return. Now, I believe it's a legitimate question to ask, how? How do I get ready? And it probably is fair to say, ask to get ready for what? I mean, if you're getting ready for a trip, you need to pack. If you need to get ready for an exam, they're coming up in the next week or two for lots of students. You need to study to get ready. If you're getting ready for a wedding, you barely get ready. You're going to be spending money, aren't you? Ready for Christ's return. How do we get ready? Well, I'm returning to a theme of a sermon of just two weeks ago, and I will just lay it down on the table again. Sometimes we need to hear things twice, and maybe somebody here is supposed to hear this twice. But getting ready for Christ's return, you repair and restore relationships. That's what you do to get ready. You repair and restore relationships. Now, I know there's a caveat here, and the caveat is, there are that to restore relationships in their complete perfection requires the cooperation of two people. And sometimes one side or the other is not cooperative. So you can make the effort and you can in good conscience lay it down that you made the right, legitimate, and honest effort, but the other person was unwilling to go with you. I remember a fellow back in uh, my parish in uh, Spartanburg who was very, very offended by the search process which was actually the search process for the calling of me to become rector at St. Christopher's. And he didn't have anything personally against me, but he was very offended by the, uh, by the process. And he said to me, after I had arrived there, he said, I will never forgive the chairman for what he did. And I said, never? I mean, never? He said, I will never forgive the chairman for what he did. That's the opposite of getting ready. And if that chairman even wanted to try to reconcile the individual, he or she might have found it impossible. But aside from that caveat, getting ready for Christ's return, we work on repairing and restoring our relationships that have become broken. It may be between a husband and a wife or a wife and a husband, a father and a daughter and a, and a mother and a son or vice versa or a brother or a sister or a close relative, or a close friend, or an acquaintance, or a neighbor, or somebody at work. 
that needs attention, it needs restoration, or at least repairing. So Paul will get on this same bandwagon, and he pushes pretty hard on it from the 13th chapter of Romans this morning. The hour has already come for you to what? To wake up from your slumber. In other words, this passivity just won't do. It's time to wake up for your slumber. We put these things on the back burner because we don't want to deal with them. And Paul says it's time because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So Paul puts it in a kind of wonderful visual imaging image of getting dressed or dressing for the occasion. He says, for example, put on the armor of light. And that's how you get ready for his return. And what I would offer to you, that's how we prepare to restore and rebuild and repair relationships. Put on the armor of life, of light. Now, I love what we all can learn to do, and that is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. The armor of light is kind of a vague kind of, well, what does that mean to put on the armor of light? I can't literally put on the armor of light. So we can take that passage and lay aside another passage, the one in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians, because there Paul will say, put on the full armor of God. Well, that's close enough to the armor of light, I expect. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And he says there's some equipping we need to do, beginning with the 14th verse. Um, the belt of truth is part of that armor. The breastplate of righteousness, the Feet, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And he says, so we're building to a crescendo and pray in the Spirit, whatever he may mean by that. And we could go unpack that further if we had time this morning. But whatever that means to pray in the Spirit, I think I know what that means on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The armor of light described as the clothing of character and virtue. And good character and good virtue helps sustain and even restore relationships. But Paul goes further pressing this image of clothing, and he says later in that 13th chapter, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Another kind of potent visual image to be clothed in the armor of light, to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can also puzzle what that means. And we can also go to Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture. So again, from Romans, we can go, for example, to Colossians, another letter Paul wrote. And he says in that letter, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Look at this. He describes what that clothing of the Lord Jesus looks like. Clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And then he moves into the whole issue of relationships. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And then he kind of builds to a climax to say, in summary, if you will, and over all these virtues, there's a big garment to put on, the garment of love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And having done that, the armor of light, and clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
what we will discover is what is described further in, um, in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule, not only in your hearts, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts because we've been called to peace. And he says, and be thankful people. Be grateful, people. We've just emerged from Thanksgiving holidays, and that whole press and push there is to stop and count your blessings. And he goes further finally and says, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, it means one has to appropriate the word of Christ, have scripture open in some regular way, day to day, in a small group, week to week, listening to it on Sunday morning as well, or sitting at the foot of the others who teach scripture and the word of Christ to dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And here's a description of a restored, repaired community. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, in your hearts to God. How do we get ready for Christ's return? That is a primary theme of Advent for these four weeks, getting ready for Christ's return. We certainly have heard it this morning. We'll hear hints of it further into this season as well. And one, you build virtuous character. It's important. And two, you give attention to all of your relationships and especially the ones that need tending because they need mending. And you do this by polishing off your own rough edges that injure others, or you correct behaviors that do harm or wound others. Is it a temper? Is it some sort of addiction? Is it a controlling personality or a manipulative personality? Advent is a bit of a Lenten-like season where we do a bit of self-examination and choose to work on some of this stuff so that we can have the right dress for the occasion. Well, the other reason this song is touching to me, if you will, even though it's partly simply nostalgia and kind of a lovely gospel-written tune back there in crazy times, is that the writer of that tune... Curtis Mayfield certainly did not know how his life would turn out. But what happened to Curtis Mayfield years after he wrote that song of getting ready is he was on an outdoor stage and the lighting apparatus fell on him and broke his neck. And he was paralyzed from the waist down for the next decade of his life. He learned to sing again, but he apparently had to sing from his uh, from a horizontal position in order to get enough air into his lungs to actually sing the songs. And he actually cut a final album uh, in, in the 1990s that was uh, finally, I think, published in the early 2000s. And uh, not one of his greatest works, but it was certainly a work of courage. And Curtis Mayfield died because before the Lord returned, Curtis Mayfield went there. And that's the other reason it's important to get ready for his return. Because before he comes, we may go there. And we need to be ready. We're called to be ready. We'll have peace here if we are ready. Well, I love the way he sings that with the impressions. But there's another one who sang this song too. There are lots of folks who sung this song, People Get Ready. This one was by a woman who was a completely unknown musician. 
except in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, she sang jazz and blues and folk and rock and gospel, but she had an extraordinarily paralyzing, shy personality. It's very hard for her to go on large stages, and she was making her way simply by singing on small stages in the Washington area to try to see if she could overcome that, which she never did. Because in the summer of 1996, unknown, never heard of, at 33 years of age, she contracted cancer, a melanoma that metastasized, and she found out in July she had about five months to live, and that's all she had. And she died in the fall of 1996. And her name is Eva Cassidy. And if you've never listened to her music, I would highly recommend it. She, um, after she died, she died unknown, and her music was unknown, and she was unknown as a personality. And later, she was discovered first by the British, and her music became number one and number two bestsellers in Britain for a few years, and then came back this way, and she has had a high profile among some since. They both sang this song, People Get Ready. They both have died, and I hope they were ready. hope they took those words to heart for themselves. And knowing not what lies around the corner for your life or for mine, I hope we too will take the Advent season as a season of preparation and getting ready. And you know what? Some of you have already done that in your life. And if something happened tomorrow, I expect you would die in perfect peace, knowing that you had done all things to restore and repair relationships as you were able to do. And I expect there's some of you sitting here and you say, I've got some unfinished business that I need to take care of and there's no better time than now. This song tells us something else also. It basically is telling us that when it's over, it is not over. Life here is a prelude to life there. Life here is preparatory to life there. Life here is a lesson to learn about living well by living a life of love, which will be the nature of the other kingdom that we will go to, a kingdom of love and joy and gladness. If you will permit me, I want to close uh, with Eva Cassidy's version of this song, uh, she, her singing the first verse again. And then if you'll listen closely at the end of that verse, it's actually she's singing it as the last verse. And listen to the very, very end after a little musical prelude and hear her word there, this woman who has already gone to heaven.
that fade out is absolutely lovely because she moves from I am getting ready, I am getting ready, I'm ready. How beautiful. How lovely. Seems like a great example and a great direction for us for our lives. May Advent be rich and prosperous for you as you prepare for Jesus' coming or as you prepare for your going. Either way, same preparation, and the destination is glorious. Thanks be to God. Amen.